Ben Robinson here with Blue Line Sports Management in Denver, Colorado, and you are listening to episode number nine of the Skate Your Way to the Top podcast on iTunes. Today's episode features a hockey-specific summary from the 2018 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference in Boston this past weekend. I attended the conference on Friday and Saturday, February 23rd and 24th, and it was impressive to see how many forward-thinking individuals, organizations, and franchises take part in the event. It was special to see the direction that the hockey business continues to evolve in terms of database decision-making. One of the most important hockey panels that, that I was able to take in was Playing for the Players, the Future of Player Advocacy. Player representation has evolved to become more multidimensional than ever before. In the past year, social activism, pay equity, and data privacy have grabbed headlines and sparked intense debate. The increasingly complex job of agents and union leaders set the stage for this discussion of recent changes in collective bargaining, marketing, and privacy rights. This was a panel featuring Don Fear, the NHLPA's current executive director, about how technological change and the demand for data will shape labor relations in the years ahead. Don Fear comments on the following. Fear says, Unions are first, last, and always political organizations. In any union anywhere, of any size, you have differences among the members. Some are older, some are younger, some are paid more, and some have different jobs. There are always arguments about routes of progression to different jobs, retirement, health care, and the rest of it. The job is to get the players together, to educate them, and say, talk out, argue, do whatever you need to do to come to a consensus, because that is what we need to go out to the owners about. This is what the job is. You can hire everything else. When you come to bargaining in hockey now, there is a tendency sometimes to look at rookies, but it's not looking at rookies or young players as somehow they are to be discriminated against. It reflects A, you gotta prove yourself first. You have to prove you belong in a locker room first as a player. And B, they have a longer career. In hockey, what we have is a philosophy which is equal opportunity. You have the same opportunities in your career based on length of service that everybody else does. So to say that a rookie doesn't get paid as much as a 30-year-old superstar may be accurate, but the rookie hasn't done those things yet. They have to prove themselves. Last thing, players have a lot of differences, but what they share in common dwarfs those differences. Every superstar knows that he was a rookie once. Uh, the next question from the panel was, what are the differences between advocating for players in baseball versus players in hockey? Don Fear says, the differences are not as great as you would think. The economics are similar. You can actually describe what we bargain with widgets if you want to. The internal pol politics are similar. The nature of the businesses as an entertainment product are similar, if not close to identical. Hockey players tend to be younger. There are very few 18 and 19 and 20 year olds that come into the league in Major League Baseball. They mostly come in at later ages and they mostly have minor league experience in baseball. That's true to an extent in hockey, but hockey players come into the league younger. Younger translates to people with less experience, as a result, less wisdom and less judgment. You have to adapt your internal communications to that. The other thing is demographics. In baseball, the overwhelming majority of players are American or Latin with American influence. In the NHL, 75% of the players are not American. Their general outlook on how you do things, how unions operate, what you do with a strike or a lockout, what the role of the players is, is different. And so, with hockey players, there's an educational component that you have to go through. Uh, next up, Fear noted, in baseball, from 1972 to 1994, there was a strike or a lockout in eight successive negotiations. 
and the issue was always the same. The issue was the owners want to put restrictions on players' ability to negotiate individual contracts with a draft, with limitations on free agency, with high compensation for free agents, with a purpose to hold down salaries. And the players didn't want any piece of that. After 1994, the owners adopted a revenue-sharing plan in baseball that we basically drafted for them that essentially stopped and there has been labor peace ever since in the sense that there hasn't been another lockout or strike in baseball. Now, why is there one in hockey? The answer is the owners are going to lock the players out. The owners argue that they're bigger and stronger than the players. The owners have more money. Players have short careers and owners won't have to pay the players as much. You can come up with a thousand different explanations and PR summaries as to why this is. None of them matter. That's the reason that we lock out. Don said, if we if we negotiate again, the sentiment is that we've reached an equi equilibrium point and that is shared by both sides, then perhaps you won't have a lockout, but that's the history behind it. Next, Don, Don mentioned that any group of employees has a union because they believe that it is better to have a union than not. There are always differences, but on balance, it is better to have a union than not. And if the NHLPA or any other union in professional sports gets to the point where they say having the union is more detrimental to us than not having one, then the only thing you can do is to decertify or abandon your bargaining rights. And that creates differences in terms of what you can negotiate and what you can't. It's a balancing test and something you have to go through each time. Uh, the panel asked uh, Don Fear about political statements from athletes. Uh, professional sports is enmeshed with politics and culture. It's all over everywhere. Why is it that you think presidents go to football, hockey, basketball, and baseball games? Because it's good for them to be seen there. What do you think we fly jets over stadiums for? Why do we, why do, we do this? When you take a private employment entertainment setting and you suffuse politics, you would, have to put, you would have to have some people, the players, who are really out of it if none of them had any opinions about anything or wanted to express themselves. Don said, that's the world they live in, and to say, well, I just won't say anything can be taken by people as saying, you agree with what's going on. That's the pressure that the players face, and it's really difficult, Don said. My guys had an interesting one when the political statement started, as 75% of the NHL Players Association membership is not American. The players felt that that was the last thing that they wanted to do is to get involved with an American cultural issue. They simply felt it wasn't their place to do so. Next up, Don said, there's a big push to quantify everything without knowing what those quantities mean yet. We can say you skate a little bit slower than you did three years ago. Does that mean your play is better or worse? Are you taking time to figure out where you're going as a player or can you not keep up anymore? And so there's a real danger in negotiations for having a lot of statistics which merely provide excuses for people to do what they want to do. Don said he agrees entirely with the biometric data that's player personal. Uh, it's health related and it's player owned. There's a focus on protecting player privacy and not having biometric data used in a way that harms the player, especially in negotiating. The panelists said, when Bettman was asked about the NHL not playing in the Olympics, he made a comment suggesting that the players should not or might not be in the Olympics in China in 2022. Don's response to that in a quote, he said, I did not hear the statement that Bettman said, but I did read a few articles about it. And what struck me was that it was completely unnecessary and appeared to be a reaction to the NBC president's comments about television ratings. Don said, from a player standpoint, since we are not in Korea, it is not likely to be an issue. 
We did not have any money issues with the IOC and last time in the IAHF. Those were all resolved. The players look at the notion that we are going to expand into China and play games there and try to develop the market. And somehow, that would not include the best players in the world in a place where a billion Chinese can watch them in prime time is something you just roll your eyes about. It's sort of amazing, Don said. The last thing this time around, it did get into collective bargaining. The owners wanted concessions in collective bargaining in order to go to the Olympics, which raises the whole question about whether any athlete ought to be paying somebody to go to the Olympics. Last thing Don said is to give you an idea about how strongly the players feel about it, it means a lot to be able to go to the Olympics and represent your country. There's pride, there's cultural imperative, especially in Europe that goes with it. And there is a real patriotic factor that goes with it. Any given uh, unique place the Olympics has is long term. It's sort of a decent respect for the opinions of the players in that regard. Uh, and Don's judgment ought to carry today. The last thing that Don Fear left us with was this quote. He said, remember one thing, everything is PR, including the title commissioner. Why don't we call him president and CEO of the business? Because commissioner sounds like he's working for the public, but he's not. With this, fear speaks to the fact that the commissioner is solely working for the owners. There are so many panels at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Uh, I just kind of wanted to give you an idea of some of the other non-specific hockey panels, um, which included the following. Uh, serial entrepreneurs building winning businesses in tech and sports with Ted Leonsis, owner of the Washington Capitals, and Michael Rubin. More than a team, innovation and ownership featuring Jonathan Kraft, Robert Kraft's son of, of the owner of the uh, New England Patriots in the NFL. Kim Pagula, Terry Pagula's wife and owner of the Buffalo Sabres, NFL Buffalo Bills, and Buffalo Buttes in the National Women's Hockey League. The evolution of the sports business. Driving business decisions with sports analytics. Nothing but net present value. Investing in, in sports. Esports ownership. Digital disruption. Strategies to reach the modern fan. A conversation with former President Barack Obama, who spoke at the conference about how he used data to drive his decisions in the White House. Ticketing and analytics. Data and the digital create a new order. What can sports learn from, from other industries? The Right Stuff, Launching a Business in Sports, Draft Day Analytics, Careers in Sports Analytics, Just the Facts, A Conversation with Steve Ballmer, who is owner of the LA Clippers NBA franchise and retired CEO of Microsoft. Ballmer paid $2 million for the nugget for the Clippers sorry, in 2014. Put a Ring on It, Building a Champion, Technology for a New Edge, Nuts and Bolts of Acquiring a Franchise, Risky Business, Sports Science and Injury Prevention. Up Close and Personal, Social Media and the Modern Athlete with Jalen Rose, Jeremy Lin, and Sue Bird. Inventing Modern Basketball with Shane Battier and Steve Nash. Athletes and Activism. Logos, Pathos, and Ethos Sponsorship Analytics. Creating a New Stat. Trust the process, team building and rebuilding in the NBA with Chris Bosch and others, and a whole other cater of topics and workshops. Too much to mention here today, but good for you under to understand that the Sloan Sports Conference is well worth attending for the sheer wealth of knowledge and insight that one can gain, not to mention its quality networking. If you enjoy this podcast or find it useful in any way, I would appreciate it if you subscribe to Skate Your Way to the Top on iTunes and if you could share it with your peers online via social media. 
Your comments, reviews, and input are always appreciated and valuable. Thank you for continuing to listen to what I have to say here. Ben Robinson signing off, and you've been listening to the Skate Your Way to the Top podcast.